This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. This year we are growing to the next level, amen? I don't know about you, but last week got me all kind of pumped up. I mean, I just got really excited about what it is that God is doing in us and through us. And man, it was just such a great privilege to be able to share that first piece of direction with you. If you missed last week, I don't do this often, but I'm going to say you have to. You have to go back and listen. Last week, if you missed it, because I really unpacked the first piece of the vision for 2016. Now we understand that Word of Grace is our overall vision is to be a church family that's growing in loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And we recognize the call to grow because we understand that where we're at, no matter how good it is, we can't stay here. A lot of times people understand that they can't stay here when things are going bad because they don't want to stay there. They're like, yeah, I want to get out of this situation. I want to get out of this hole. I want to get out of this problem. And so we understand we can't stay here when things are going bad. I think often the temptation, though, however, is when things are going good, we can often become complacent because we don't realize we still need to grow even though things may be going well. As we look at Word of Grace and what God has done, things haven't always been easy. Things haven't always been positive. Things haven't always been in an encouraging state, just like the life of any church. But let me tell you, this past probably year and a half, it's been really a beautiful thing to see what God has done in this church family. Wouldn't you agree? It's been phenomenal. And man, it's been very encouraging to see. And we're in a great spot right now as a church. God's doing some great things A lot of unity, a lot of people engaging, a lot of people growing, a lot of amazing testimonies. But no matter how great that it is, no matter how good you may feel in this moment, how excited you may be about what God is doing in our church family, we can't stay here. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep growing and be able to recognize and avoid the temptation to get complacent. So that's what 2016 is all about, as a vision focus to help us accomplish growing in loving God, loving people. We are going to be growing to the next level. And last week, I talked to you about one of three specific areas that I believe God is calling us to focus on this year as a church family. And these three areas, I believe, we are called to grow in as disciples or followers of Jesus. Last week, we talked about growing in maturity. And then we explained and unpacked what maturity means. What does it mean when we say we're going to grow to the next level in maturity? So this was my message last week. I talked about developing leaders, that that's part of us growing and increasing our capacity, and then also growing in the fundamentals. I think it's important for us to grow in the fundamentals to where they become almost automatic in our lives, to where they're not something that we even think about. It's just a natural reaction because we have invested so much of those fundamentals of Christianity in our lives. So in other words, we have identified the fundamentals of the life of a Christian as being one of prayer, one of scripture reading and understanding the scripture, not just reading it. Hello. Amen. So everybody, right. And then being available. Those are the fundamentals. This should be our default. But just because those things look and seem simplistic and you're like, oh, I've heard this. I know that you have to be intentional about investing. So when the situation arises, that's what comes out. In other words, when you're put in a spot, you say, you know what, I'm going to pray about this, and you actually do, instead of just knowing you're supposed to say, I'm going to pray about it. 
because it's a natural response, whether it's a good situation, bad situation, I'm going to pray for you. And you actually follow through with that. You become a person that is living a lifestyle of prayer. And when a situation comes up where God uh, may, may, may lead you through an area that may be challenging, then all of a sudden you go, well, I need to trust that he's faithful. Well, I know that through knowing him because I know the scripture. And that scripture guides me. It becomes something that is automatic. Instead of, like we often do, when trials or tribulations or temptations come our way and we've exhausted all of our resources and then what's the good advice we always give to everybody? Well, why don't you just pray about it? Well, I guess that prayer thing is still out there. I could try that, I guess, since I've done everything else that I thought would work. Let's try that prayer thing. How about it? When in reality, that's what we should have started with. Amen? We look at that as like a default Last minute, well, I guess I need to read the Bible. I guess I need to get into the Scripture. That should have been default. And I think that growing up as Christians to the next level, part of investing in those things is going to help us to grow in the fundamentals because those things should happen naturally. And we should be available to be used by God and make sure that we're looking at our schedule and our priorities and making sure there's availability in our lives and that we're flexible for His kingdom. That's one of the biggest things that I look for when I'm looking for leaders and when I'm looking for people to place in positions of authority in ministry is are these people flexible? Are they available? Do they get it? Is the heart there? Is the heart navigating that? Because guess what? I can teach talent and skills and and, and how-tos, but the heart, the character, the availability, do I care? Do I want to be available? These are things that we need to grow in as a church and as individuals. Man, it doesn't matter if it's your first time here and perhaps you're just here visiting family and you may never come to this church again but i'll tell you this you are still called to grow and mature and that means we're supposed to develop both as leaders and we're supposed to be developing leaders ourselves because one of the healthy marks of a disciple of jesus is that they are making disciples and they're growing in the fundamentals and then lastly we talked about strengthening communication and training and that's more of a local piece here in our church that we want to grow in because we want to be stronger in the ways we communicate in order to minimize frustrations so we reevaluate those things and we come up with greater and better ways to be able to do that. And then we also want people to be trained and equipped to do the work of the ministry like Ephesians 4 and 11 says that we're called to do because we want to send out people who are fully equipped and confident in what God has called them to do. So those are areas of focus in growing to the next level in maturity. And one of the ways that I think that is very vital for us to grow is to be people of prayer. Wouldn't you agree? I think we need to be people of prayer. I'm not sure if you said amen because you know you're supposed to or if because you really meant it. Um, because it's going, yeah, prayer, amen, move on, Pastor. Uh, we got to be people of prayer. And here at Word of Grace, if we say we're going to grow to the next level in prayer, how do we know when it's happening? How do we know if that's going on? Well, we have to be intentional about what we do, and we have to be intentional with the spaces that we've created. So we have developed new prayer times available corporately as a church just to encourage you and invite you, everyone, to be a part of that. So every morning, Monday through Thursday, 8.30 to 9, we're going to be here as a staff praying, and we want to invite you to come and be a part of that morning time of prayer. It was really powerful last week. We kicked off our first week, and we actually had a few people from church come and join us. It was really an awesome time. So every Monday through Thursday, come up here, pray with the staff. We're going to just pray for different focuses or whatever God's leading you to pray for would be great. Now, here's the bigger change that you may not have been aware of, because if we say that we're going to grow to the next level in prayer, we need to put our actions where our mouth is. Amen? We need to actually follow up with this instead of just say it, and it sounds spiritual and sounds good. 
So I have asked our worship team, who normally shows up every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. to go through rehearsal and sound check, I've asked them to come 30 minutes earlier, and they all saw the why. They got it. They saw the purpose. And so they all agreed that they're going to begin to come at 7.30 to rehearse so we can have a corporate time of prayer here. And if you want to come and be a part of that, that's going to happen at 8 a.m. and also at 10.05. So here's what it's going to look like. If perhaps you're here at second service today and normally you come to first, what would happen is that at the end of service, we're going to have our normal time of, of prayer like we always do at the end where there's people available to pray for you and with you. But this is different than that. This is not us necessarily praying for you. This is us praying together for specific things that we're going to put up on the screens and prayer focuses that we're going to have for the day and for the service. And we'll be praying together. And you can go sit wherever you want to and we'll have music going and, 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 and we'll be praying in this sanctuary. Uh, at 8 to 8.15 and then Sunday at 10.05 to 10.20. So at the end of the first service, after we dismiss, there's going to be a time of uh, fellowship like there always is people talking and then somebody's going to get on the microphone and they're going to say, hey, if you're having a conversation, we don't want to break that up, but would you please take it out into the cafe or into the lobby area because we're about to have a focused time of prayer. So don't get offended. Don't get upset. If somebody gets on the microphone, we're not picking on you. We're just letting you know that this is important to us as a church. Also, so is fellowship and you talking. So don't feel like you're being shamed or, or, or feeling bad like, oh, I'm, I'm talking to someone I should be praying. No, we want you to fellowship. We want you to connect. That's healthy. That's another part of healthy church growth. So we're just asking you just to be respectful and carry the conversation into the other room. So don't misunderstand that. Don't misinterpret that. Um, but just do that. You could also come to both. If you wanted to come to first service, come to pray and then hang out afterwards and pray. This is starting next week, all right? So we're putting this into place next week to make prayer a greater priority. Now, I know these aren't long times of prayer. I know they're, they're shorter times of prayer, but let me tell you something. I, I, I wanted us to look at, God, when could we place corporate times of prayer here in the church just to not only to say prayer is important, but to actually do it and show that prayer is important, amen? And so if you want to be a part of that, great. Uh, I would love for you to come and be a part of that. Uh, it's just going to be a casual come and go thing. It's not going to be a formal thing. So just come in the sanctuary, but recognize that people are going to be praying. So keep that in mind. And then you can just pray with the Lord, uh, pray to the Lord. And then at the end, we'll probably all just come together and have a, have a joint prayer time before we uh, kind of break uh, that prayer time and then move into more of just greeting people and welcoming them into the auditorium. But I want us to be people of prayer at our church because Jesus... When he went into the temple, what did he see? He saw that there was a lot of business transactions going on, a lot of shady business transactions going on in the temple. And what did he do? He turned the tables over. He ran the money changers out with a whip, right? <laughs> and he said, you know, this is my father's house. He said, you guys said it's supposed to be a house of prayer. He said, but you've made it a den of thieves. So we know that this is part of the heart of God for his house to be a house of prayer. And that doesn't just go for this house. It goes for our house. Amen? Amen. But we want to make that a priority here as a church family. So if you can join us, I wanted to make you aware of those changes because, you know, as we're growing to the next level, it sounds great and it sounds nice if we get everybody pumped up and excited. Yeah, we're going to grow to the next level, but we need to actually do this thing and not just be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers of it. Amen. And so as we look into the next phase, because I told you there were three areas, the first one being we're going to grow to the next level in maturity, and I defined that for you last week and then briefly here at the beginning of my message, but the second thing that we're going to grow 
to the next level in as a church is family. And that's what we're talking about this morning, growing to the next level as family. And what I mean when I say family, I mean we're going to be focusing on cross-generational mentoring. We're going to be deepening community group engagement. And this is all for the purpose of growing to the next level and loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And lastly, we're going to be doing things to strengthen our church's unity, which is already a wonderful thing, but we want to take it to the next level. And we also want to strengthen value. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of background so you'll understand what's going on. In the letter to Timothy, this wasn't written by Timothy, but rather to Timothy. And Timothy was a disciple or a mentee of the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. The guy that radically got saved on the road to Damascus as he was persecuting Christians. And he got radically saved and his life completely turned around. This guy is a mentor to this young minister named Timothy. And Timothy is a young guy placed in a position of authority where there's a lot of older people that are over him and a lot of older people in the group that he was ministering to and not everybody thought that well of Timothy primarily because he was younger and because as they looked at him they're like how could this younger person be teaching us and as well as there were just some some inner turmoil amongst the leadership there and Timothy as a young leader was very discouraged with what was happening there. And so as Timothy would just be discouraged, Paul knew about this, he heard about this, and he would write letters to Timothy to encourage him to keep doing what he was doing. And this particular letter is what we call 1 Timothy. So let's look at a portion of it and hear the heart of the Apostle Paul, his mentor, his spiritual father, writing to him to encourage this young minister who feels very intimidated by those who are in other positions of authority and those who are older than him. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. I'm going to be reading it out of the English Standard because I really like the way that it reads this morning. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Notice here that what he did not say was, let no one despise you because of your youth, Timothy. So go out and why don't you get a custom t-shirt that says, young people rule, old people drool. (laughs) He didn't tell him to go out and parade the fact that he's younger and he's in authority and he's in leadership and everybody else just needs to get with him because he's the cool guy and he's young. No, he said, don't let anyone despise your youth, but he doesn't stop there. He says, but set the believers an example in the way you talk, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way you love other people, in the way that you carry yourself as a man of faith, and in purity. Be a moral person of integrity. And he's basically telling young Timothy, don't let people despise you because of your youth, but don't give them a reason to. Don't give people a reason to go, oh my goodness, this young guy, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He's not moral. He, he's not full of love. He, he, he can't control his mouth or control his temper. No, he says, you need to set an example Because there's going to be people who would like to despise you because of your youth, but don't give them a reason to. Here's what he says, continuing in verse 13. He said, listen, until I come see you, why don't you devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, encouraging the saints, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. You need to practice 
these things. You need to immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So people can see, man, this guy is growing, and he's setting that example of growing to them. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Make sure that you're teaching the scriptures with true integrity, not just with your agenda. Persist in this, for by doing so, you're going to save both yourself and your hearers. And he keeps on writing to them in what we know as chapter 5, because remember, there weren't chapter divisions in this letter. He said, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So he tells him basically to look at these people that you're ministering to as if they were your natural family. Look at people who are older than you as a father and a mother. Look at people who are younger than you or who are your age. Look at those people like they're your brothers or your sisters. This reiterates the idea of God wanting a family and us being those children of God and how the body of Christ, the church, is called to be a family. And the thing that he's trying to get across to Timothy is that, listen, it's not all about you. It's not all about the older people or the younger people. He said it's about you all together growing because family grows together. Amen? I think that oftentimes there's so many generational divides in the church where young people feel that they have something to prove to the older people and then the older people may feel like they're entitled. So neither generation listens to one another because they say things like, well, you don't know what you're talking about, old timer. You need to get with the times. You need to get with what's cool. You need to get with what's going on. And then the older generation says, well, I've been through this and I've earned this and I've deserved this or I paid my time. And both sides never will move forward together often because they miss the mark of seeing the value in relationship with one another. How many times have we seen in church that there is divisions in those ranks? You see, as long as generational divides are guarded and we go to war and arrogance, no one learns. Everyone just wants to feel more passionate about their position. It becomes a war then of whose way is the right way of thinking, whose way is the right way of doing things. And that's what happens oftentimes with Christian brothers and sisters, Christian mothers and fathers who actually don't see the benefit of what God is calling them to do. Or they feel like they're useless or they feel like they're not qualified, or they feel all of these different excuses to sit on their hands and not do anything for the kingdom of God, or to help the body to grow, or to edify the body. Let me tell you a story. In 2003, I knew I was in transition as a youth pastor. My wife and I had been married for two years, and we had uh, been serving in the church where my wife grew up, and uh, she lived her whole life growing up in that church, and it was time to go. And... uh, it was time for us to move on. God gave us a release to, to, to move on. And uh, we were looking for where God would have us next. Well, we heard about this church in Iowa, of all places. I'd never been to Iowa before. I was from Arkansas. I'd never been to no Iowa. I didn't know anything about Iowa. And so this guy invited us up to interview. So we get on an airplane, and we go to the Quad Cities. Anybody know where the Quad Cities are? We went to Moline, Iowa. Flew into the Grand International Moline Airport. (laughs) And we flew into this little tiny airport, and this guy picks us up. And he takes us to his son's football game. 
And I'm like, this is kind of cool, you know. It's, I thought this was going to be like super, you know, intense interviewing type stuff. And he just takes us to his son's football game, takes us over to his home, cooks hamburgers, we eat. And then he hands me about 500 bucks in cash and gives me the keys to his car. And he said, I want you to just spend the next two days with your wife and uh, we'll talk on the third day. Best interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> And he told me, basically, you know, he told me the, the, the fun places to go in the Quad Cities, and, and we went to the movies, and we went out to eat, and we're like, this is the weirdest interview ever, and we had no idea. He wasn't taking us around the town, showing us the town, nothing. And so we go on the third day to church, and we're there in church, and it was a great service. Everything was fine, and then after the service, he takes us out to lunch because we got to board our plane in like two hours, and we haven't talked business at all. We haven't talked about, am I supposed to be your youth pastor here? Are we moving? This conversation has not even happened. He has not asked me questions, nothing. Super weird. So we're sitting at this restaurant, and he says, well, he said, Derek, he said, uh, God showed me something before you guys ever even came up here. He said, you're not supposed to be the youth pastor here at our church. And uh, he said, but God told me to bring you guys up here because he said that you've been wounded in ministry. And that I was to be a part of helping you guys to heal before you stepped into the next phase of your life. And he said, so I just wanted to bless you. He said, that's all this was. He said, it's just a blessing. He said, and I want to tell you something else. He said, you're not called to be a youth pastor. And that rubbed me the wrong way. Because I thought I was going to be a youth pastor until I was old and gray. I was going to be like this really cool old youth pastor, right? I said, what? He's, you know, I'm going, at first I'm kind of halfway offended, and I'm like, what? What do you mean I'm not called to be a youth pastor? He said, Derek, he said, you're not called to be a youth pastor. He said, you have a multi-generational calling on your life. Now listen, I grew up in a church where people gave out words like rice at a wedding, okay? Everybody had a word for everybody. And so there's a lot of things people have spoken over me that I have not taken to heart, all right? There are about three things I remember that have ever happened to me that people have spoken that I've actually taken to heart and believe was truly from God. This was one of those things. He said, you're a multi-generational pastor. He said, wherever you go, he said, you're always going to connect with, multi-generational, uh, mul- uh, with multiple generations. He said, you're always going to be able to minister to multi-generations. He said, because that's who you are, and that's who God has made you to be. So I share that story with you. And before first service, I said, I've never really shared this story with a whole lot of people, but now that's kind of over with. Uh, <laughs> But the reason I share that is because I want you to know that I am called here to be the pastor of this church. You, you cannot convince me otherwise. Um, I know this is where God wants me and my family to be. And we have planted deep roots here, and we love this area, and we love this community, and we believe God has called us here. Amen. And I'll tell you something. I believe that that word was true. And with that word being said, that I'm called to be a multi-generational pastor, that means wherever I'm called to be the pastor is to, supposed to be reflective of that call. So I believe that that means Word of Grace is called to be a multi-generational church. Amen? Amen? So get this idea out of your head. If Perhaps someone has planted this idea in your head because I've never said it. And it's never been my heart. That this is only a church for a certain group of people. Because I don't play that game. Okay? I'm not called to that. That's not in my DNA. This is not a church for younger people. This is not a church for older people. This is not a church for single people or people who dress cool, maybe cooler than me, I don't know. This is, not a, this is not a church for people who are wealthy or people who are poor. This is a church for everybody, okay? 
I don't care what background you came from. I don't care if you grew up in the church, what denomination you came from. I don't care if you just became a Christian five seconds ago. This church is supposed to be a multi-generational church that is reaching people all over the place. Because as I look at the ministry of Jesus, I think that's kind of what he did. Amen? Amen? And we're supposed to be like Jesus. So if you have this idea in your head that, well, maybe the style of Word of Grace may reflect the fact that, you know, we're, we are appealing to younger people. That's not our strategy. We just do church the way that we believe God has called us to do it. And that's it. If that happens to appeal to a certain generation, then, then so be it. But that's not our intent to try to bring in a certain style or type of person. I don't play that game. I'm just trying to reach people who are lost and hurting and who want to grow in the truth of Jesus and who want to serve the world together. That, that's, that's all I'm trying to do, all right? And that's never going to change because that's who I am. God's called me to be a multi-generational pastor. So with that being said, we're supposed to be a multi-generational family because any healthy family should be a multi-generational family. Amen? But we can benefit one another. We can help one another. We can sharpen one another if we get over this idea that it has to be my way. If we can serve together, if we can love together, if we can grow, because here's the thing, I, I think one of the greatest failures of our day is our lack of teachability. I, I think it's one of the greatest failures of our day, a lack of teachability, because everybody wants to be impressed. And we're not easily impressed nowadays because we've got YouTube and Facebook and we've seen it all. We're not easily impressed. Things that used to impress us five, ten years ago don't impress us now. We're kind of cold over that. And we get that attitude in church sometimes where we'll come and we'll fold our arms and we'll go, okay, pastor, impress me. Okay, Sunday school teacher, impress me. Okay, small group leader, impress me. Tell me something I don't already know. We laugh, but that's how a lot of people carry their hearts. They're looking to be impressed because if you hear something perhaps you've never heard because someone dug some weird Jewish tradition that no one's ever heard of before, they dig it out and connect it to a scripture and a story that you've never really read or spent a lot of time on in the Old Testament, all of a sudden you go, ooh, I never heard that before, I want to hear more of that. That's good, there's nothing wrong with that, but my job as a pastor is not to impress you, my job as your pastor is not to try to just give you all of these things that no one in the world has ever discovered before so you can go, ooh... My job is to help you understand and apply the Word of God. And I hope that, that you're doing that. And I'm going to keep preaching it and teaching it because I want you to grow. But the thing is, is that we need to focus not on how much I know and show me something I've never heard before. Instead, we need to focus on how can we grow together. Because if we get this idea that we know it all, or we get this idea that we've already heard that, then we will miss the beauty of simplicity when God tries to show us something we may disconnect from real quickly. Oh, a sermon on John 3.16? I know that scripture. I've heard that before. Disconnect. Unplug. Because we have gotten too cold over to it. We can run through the Lord's Prayer super fast and we don't even think about what we're saying. We know that. We know that already. We don't want to hear about that anymore. We don't want to talk about Jesus dying on the cross. We've heard that. We, we know that. Blah, blah, blah. And we treat it as common. Folks, that's wrong. Because we're supposed to be always cherishing the Scripture, regardless of how many times we've heard it. Amen? We need to be growing in maturity to where if there's some things you know and you've got down solid and you've got down pat, guess what? Good for you. <laughs> Now teach somebody else who doesn't know those things. Now invest your life in somebody else who doesn't know those things instead of folding your arms and waiting for someone to impress you. Because for us to grow as a church, 
in family to the next level. We have to have cross-generational mentoring. But to be able to mentor people and to have cross-generational mentoring, we've got to have humility. Because humility keeps our hearts teachable. Humility keeps our hearts teachable. The problem is, is that when people begin to think that they know better than someone else, then all of a sudden that divides us instead of unites us. I am convinced that every church split in the history of church splits for them, for, has happened because at some level, at some, some point, somebody thought they knew more than somebody else and thought they knew how to do it better than somebody else. Whether that was with the people who stayed or went, I believe that it's because somebody thought they knew better. Somebody said somebody wouldn't budge and somebody wouldn't move. And everybody got huffy and crossed their arms and said, you know what, I think I know better than you and I'm going to prove you wrong. And let me tell you, my heart breaks for that. My heart breaks for that because it divides the body instead of unites us. You see, if we humble ourselves, we go, God, what can I learn? What can you teach me? What can you show me? You see, for cross-generational mentoring to become a reality in our lives and in our church, we need to realize we still have a lot to learn. Let me show you this in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, You, however, must teach what's appropriate sound doctrine. He said, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. He said, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or gossipers, but not to be addicted to much wine because that's going to set a bad example for the younger. But instead, he said, teach what's good. Then they can urge the younger women. They can teach them, mentor them. Invest in them to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, be subject to their husbands, so no one will malign the Word of God, so no one can see that there's all this division in their home, but there's respect in that home and love in that home. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men. They need to be self-controlled. So in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, you need to show them integrity. You need to show them seriousness, the Bible says, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves. Now, now we look at that scripture there. That's cultural, all right? So they had slaves in that day. And we could interpret this to apply to our lives as employers and employees, okay? Because look at these principles here. Teach employees to be subject to their masters and everything or to be subject to their bosses, to please them, not talk back to them, not steal from them, but show your boss that you can fully be trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Man, how powerful is that? Saying, listen, we need to teach the younger, teach the older. We need to have cross-generational mentoring. That happens in the context of a family. I'm not talking about just starting more classes and getting busier as a church. I'm talking about people waking up and realizing the call of God to invest in another. And then also to allow someone to invest in you. I have a friend that I hang out with that's a member of this church. He's 68 years old, and we get together once a month for coffee, and it normally ends up being like a two, three-hour coffee. It gets cold. <laughs> but... Because we talk so much. And I love hanging out with this guy. And I'll tell you something that blows me away about this guy. When I hang out with him, he teaches me so much. 
and I'm asking questions just about life because he's been through so much. I mean, he came, became a Christian later on in life and, and has just been through so much. He's so open and transparent and willing just to, to share his life experience with me. And I'm asking him questions. I'm learning and growing. But guess what happens? I'm teaching him stuff too. And he's learning and growing from me. Even though, you know, I'm the same age as his adult son. He's still learning things from me. Why? And not because I'm his pastor, but because this guy has a teachable heart. You see, that's the difference. Is that I go, I'm teachable. Instead of me trying to convince you of why I'm right and you're wrong and me looking for the divisions, instead I'm looking at this guy like a spiritual father, a mentor, someone who is, I have allowed to speak into my life, who cares about me. And you know, when we think about mentoring, we think about all that stuff, I think sometimes we get too weird with it and we think, oh, we have to be like this big, huge Bible scholar who knows all of the scripture and someone who can always give like good little Yoda one-liners to help someone, you know, the force you must use. And we think that if we do stuff like that, that we're helping people, and we always have to have that, and we feel that if we're not equipped to say that kind of stuff, that we're inadequate, when the very opposite is true. We had a young couple here in our first service, they just got married not too long ago, and they have a precious little baby, young in life, I think he's 20, maybe 19, 20 years old, and his wife is 19, 20 years old. This couple's been not married very long. And I look at them and I say, you know what? What if someone saw that young couple and said, you know what? I remember being there. I don't care how old you are. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was 50 years ago. I don't care. I remember being there. And you begin to spend time with them and just talk to them about, man, I remember when my kids were that little. Man, I remember the struggles. I remember the late nights. Oh, yeah, I'm exhausted. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then she opens up, and you have that relationship where she begins to just spill her heart. And my husband and I, we never have time for one another. I remember that. And here's some things that we learned. Here's some things that we did. This is how you can maybe avoid some of the mistakes that my husband and I made, you know, if, if a woman were talking to her about how to be a, a stronger mother or, 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 or how to make it through the more difficult times or, or a man talking to, 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 the, to the young husband saying, man, I, you need to make time for your wife and you need to be patient with your children and all these things that I, I've learned later on in life that I made a lot of mistakes and all these things. How beautiful would that be if that was happening in context of relationship here at our church? How beautiful would that be? How biblical would that be? Cross-generational discipleship and mentorship comes when the older generations stop feeling like and acting like they've paid their dues and they sit on their hands going, well, I guess I'll just let everybody else do everything now. And then the younger generation stops being so arrogant and begins to listen to the older and seek wisdom that has been gained from their years of experience. You see, both sides need to wake up and realize we need each other. Amen? Amen? Instead of creating divisions, we need to look at this as opportunities. I don't care if the the person has been married for 50 years, they've been married for 5 years. If they have been through something that someone else may currently be going through, man, how beneficial would that be? But that only happens when we take the time to invest. I lived in Oklahoma for about 4 years as a youth pastor, and there was a guy in our church that almost every Sunday, he would come and give me a holy handshake at the end of service. You know what a holy handshake is? 
It's one when you let go of, there's money in your hand. <laughs> My wife and I had only been married for about two or three years. That's what we call it anyways. Holy handshake. Woo! There's like $20, $30 in my hand. Thank you, Jesus. And this guy would come up to me after almost every service, and he would come up to me, and he would say something, to, something like this. He would say, hey, brother, he said, why don't you take that pretty wife of yours out, out to lunch on us? I love you. Have a great day. You know what? Me and my wife didn't, go out to, didn't get to go out to eat very much when we were married in our earlier days, and probably shouldn't now, but, <laughs> but, we, didn't, but we didn't have the money to do that kind of stuff. And to have somebody come and put 30 bucks in my hand, you know what that meant to me? And this guy was 60, 65 years old, would come up and do this to me all the time. And, and you know, it, it was so beautiful. He didn't do it every Sunday, but he did it more times than not. Just because he saw a young couple, and he remembered what that was like, and he wanted us to have a nice lunch together. Before we had kids, you know, we're still trying to figure things out, making a bunch of dumb financial decisions, and didn't have a, a lot of money, and didn't make a lot of money. But we lived off what we had, and man, what a blessing to be able to go do that. Man, that... And then when this guy would take an interest in me and he would want to spend time with me, invite me over to his home or go on a ride with him in his car, just talk to me. You know what that meant to me? Like, I didn't have to do that. We didn't have a certain ministry in our church set up to do that. That was a Christian man seeing his role as a father and saw a young person who he remembered being that way. And he wanted to help that person grow. And he just said, you know what, I see my role let me tell you something. I don't care how old you are. If you can still draw breath, you still have a purpose. I mean, I thought you would amen, but I hope I didn't just... It's cool. If you're still drawing breath, you still have a purpose. Amen? amen. No, nothing, nothing aggravates me more when people begin to feel like they're worthless and they feel like they have nothing left to offer. If you're still drawing breath, God still has a plan for you to be used for His glory. I don't care what your limitations are. I don't care what you've been through or how hard life may be right now. He still has something for you. You just have to wake up and realize that you have value. Wake up and realize that God has something for you because true mentoring happens when you can get yourself engaged. And then you make yourself available in community and family. Say, I just want to be available. You see how these things that we're going to be growing to the next level in as a church in 2016, you see how these things build off one another? You see that for us to truly be successful in deepening mentoring and growing closer as a family, we've got to grow up and be mature, right? We've got to grow in scripture and prayer and availability so that when we begin to invest in people that we're investing in ourselves as well. You see, we need older people to step up and to lead community groups. It's great for young people to lead them, and we want that too. That's great. But how powerful would it be for an older couple to have a community group on marriage and have newlywed couples in that group. How powerful would that be? Those of you who have been married for 10 plus years, how significant would that have been in your life in your first years of marriage if you would have had mentoring from people who had been married longer than you and who had successful, healthy marriages, who had been through the fire, who had been through some stuff, and who could help you out when you first got going? How beneficial would that be how amazing would it be if new parents were able to learn from a couple who has grandkids? How cool would that be? If they could say, I remember what that was like. Uh, it may have been, you know, 40, 50 years ago, but I remember what that was like. And they're able to go, you know, you're going you're gonna to be all right. You're doing a good job. Even if they just affirm them, put their arm around them. You're a good mom. You're a good dad. 
you know what, you, you, your kids, they're, they're respectable kids. Let me tell you some struggles I had raising my kids. I know you're stressed out. I know that money's tight. What if someone who has been able to figure out some things financially, what if you realized that your role was to help to mentor other people who may be just starting out in their career or able to help them to figure out finances and help them to not make some mistakes that so many are making? I mean, my goodness, our world is so consumer-driven and now, 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 and swipe the credit card now, and people are making so many mistakes because they don't know how to delay gratification. What if you who have learned how to delay gratification could help someone who hasn't learned that yet? What if you were able to just spend time with them and help them in that area, teach them how to budget, teach them how to manage stuff? How beneficial would cross-generational mentoring be to use an individual, and how beneficial would it be to our church? Now, community groups that were to grace are the vital way that we have to help mature one another beyond just a weekend service because as we look at our goals as a church throughout the year, growing to the next level and depending on one another by growing in maturity and by growing as family, man, we have to focus on those things and do it together because it can't be just one person's effort, amen? amen. You see, the younger have things to offer to the older as well. And we need that cross-generational mentoring, that engagement where we're truly having teachable hearts together. And the older can teach the younger. And, and we're helping one another. And we're encouraging one another. And we're truly sharpening one another. Like the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man's count and sharpen another. Hmm. I'll tell you a cool story about that young couple real quick. I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. But I'm going to. That young couple I was telling you about with the baby, that young man is uh, going into the military. And he has a young baby, right? Because you can imagine that that wife is pretty fearful, right? She's going, oh man, the person who's the head provider in our home brings security in our home. He's going to be going off to basic training. And it just, it just worked out that way. To, that's the path that God had for this young man. And uh, an older couple, after our first service this morning that was probably in their late 60s, went up to this young couple and they said, hey, I've never met you before, but a pastor was picking on you, talking about you in church, you know, which is why it's dangerous to sit on the front row. But, but, uh, but, but uh, he, said, uh, he said, when's your basic training? And he told him when he's leaving. He said, well, when do you graduate from that? And he told him. And he said, well, he says, your wife going to be able to go out and see, see you graduate? And said, no, you know, it's, we're not, she's not going to be able to. You know, I'm just going to graduate. It's fine. Was well, your mom and dad going to be able to come out there and see you graduate? No, no, they, they're not really involved in my life very much. You know, I don't really have the support there. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, my wife and I are going to fly out and see you graduate. And he said, we're also going to pay for your wife to have a plane ticket to go out there as well. Because she needs to be there for that. He said, we're going to be there for that. And the guy starts weeping, breaks down right here. Just just happened just like an hour ago. Let me tell you why. Because somebody woke up and got it. Because somebody woke up and said, you know what? I want to pour into someone else's life. Because it's not all about me, myself, and I. It's about me investing in other people because our church needs to grow to the next level in family. And that's not going to happen just by you attending on the weekend. It's going to happen by you connecting with other people because we believe here at Word of Grace that discipleship happens best in the context of relationship. Now that young man and that young woman have so much more peace in their heart 
over something that was probably scaring them to death because they know at least they're going to get to be together, see each other after the basic training is over, and she's going to get to be there. Wow! That is stinking cool! How awesome is God, amen? Amen. He works on our hearts, and we need to be obedient when He speaks. You see, family makes sure that one another knows and feels that they are valued. That's what we do as a family. That's our role. That's our job. To make one another know and feel that we are valued. Because how can we, being Christian people, who have the message of the gospel, the greatest message in the world, tell other people, Jesus loves you, but do they feel it and see it by the way we treat them? You see, we've got to let people know and feel, amen, that they're valued, that they matter. And this is what we use as a staff, as a metric to gauge what we're doing. Are we making people, leading people to feel valued? And there's certain areas we go, yeah, we're doing well. And some areas maybe not so well. So we want to be more consistent as we evaluate even things we do as a staff, making sure people know and feel that they're valued. And there's a few things in the works that we're going to be launching this year that are going to, that's going to help increase the consistency of people knowing and feeling valued and that they're a part of that family. We're going to work on that. We want to grow in that because we're never going to become perfect at it. So it's always going to be a growing process. And we want to grow it. I feel we've grown. We're doing a lot better in that. But man, as we look at that and we go, wow, for us to lead people to knowing and feeling that they're valued, then when you begin to teach, when you begin to share the truth, all of a sudden their heart is a lot more open because they know you care. Amen? Amen. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? Right? And so that's what we do. That's what family does. It's just not what Pastor Derek and, this, and the other pastors on staff do. No, it's the family. You are a part of the church family. That's what we do. That's who we are. And what that does is that helps strengthen unity and value. We strengthen unity and value by deepening trust, by getting to know one another, by caring about one another. I want to read you a few more scriptures before we go this morning. Acts chapter 2 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings, and what they were doing with that, they distributed the proceeds to all, to people who had need. Day by day, they attended the temple together. They broke bread in homes. They received their food with gladness and with generosity in their heart. They were praising God. They were having favor with all people. And the Lord was doing what? He was adding to their number day by day people who were coming to Christ and being saved as a result. That is a healthy, biblical, Acts church. Amen? Amen. And that's what we want to continue to grow in. Discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. So getting connected, getting engaged, getting involved is the key to maturity and growth in our church. So let me ask you this question. In 2016, what is God calling you to do? And I want to throw this out there to make you think. In 2016, will you commit to grow to the next level as a church family? I asked you last week, in 2016, will you commit to grow in maturity to the next level? Or will you grow in family in the next level? So what's the next step? What's the next step? What do we do? This is what's next. You see, 
We need to move. We need to do something with it. And if you feel like that you need to be leading a community group, Pastor Keith's the guy to talk to. He's the guy that's in charge of community groups here at Word of Grace. He'd love to talk to you about that. Grab him after service. Talk to him. Give him a call. Email us. Whatever. You know, if you have an idea to accomplish some of these things and, and, and you want to you help be a part of growing that, and let me know. Give me a call. Let's go out to lunch. Let's, let's go have coffee. I, I'm, I do that kind of stuff. I'm available. This isn't something that me and the staff work on all week to present to our church just to come and watch and be a part of. This is something we do together. Amen? Amen. This is a family thing. This is a church family. And I want you to know that your voice, that it's valuable, that it matters, that you have value here. You know, you can um, get involved in community group. Perhaps... It's time for you to get involved. Maybe you've been putting it off. Have you been putting it off because maybe you say, oh, I'm too busy? Well, you need to get connected. That's how we grow as family, by connecting with one another. We're going to be rolling out a bunch of community groups in February, and it's going to be awesome. You need to get connected. Get to know people. Grow together. See, how can I be of benefit to the group, and how can the group benefit me? How can we sharpen each other so we can grow together as a church family? Make it a priority to get connected. Don't be sitting on the sidelines or just be a spectator. It's time to get engaged. It's time to get involved. So will you commit in 2016 to grow to the next level as a church family? Because here's what family means one more time. Family means we're going to grow in cross-generational mentoring. We're going to deepen our community group engagement. And we're going to strengthen our unity and our value. And that means valuing one another. Caring for one another. It's time for us to grow to the next level. And maybe some of those things I mentioned, maybe none of those things is what you're necessarily called to do or supposed to do. Maybe you're called to go find someone one-on-one, connect with somebody. Maybe God's putting somebody on your heart. Whatever it is, you have to be obedient because we're all called to grow. Amen? So let's do it together. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.